0: If you join me in Bible study today, open up your Bibles, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 9. Even though we've already looked at the Ten Commandments, we are still in the section of Deuteronomy trying to explain to the people why it is so important to the Lord that we obey His commandments. Why does He care? Who knows? Why does He care?
1: Because He wants us to fellowship with
0: Him. Because He wants us to fellowship with Him. Will He. Have a close fellowship with somebody who's walking in, obe- in obedience to Him. Yep. Yes. How about in disobedience? No. Outright disregard. No. no. So let's look at what He says here. He says, "When they went up into the mountain, which mountain are we talking about? Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai to receive the tablets of stone. Why would God write the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone?" He Permanent, yeah. That's why he didn't use parchment paper, right? Which would have disintegrated in a few years. He didn't write it on napkins. He didn't write it on leaves. He wrote it on stone. It says the tablets of the covenant, which the Lord made with you. What is that covenant? Let's go back to Exodus 19 before we even finish reading the verse. I don't want you to mistake and think that the commandments are the promises because the commandments are not the promises. A covenant is a set of promises that are enforceable. Exodus 19 start in verse 5. Now therefore if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine. So this is the Lord setting forth the proposal. If you'll do what? If you'll keep my commandments, then you'll be what? A special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Does God make the promise to the church that we shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? Yes, but it's got the same if. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So this is the offering of the covenant. Verse 7, So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. That is the acceptance of the covenant. Now what's lacking to make it a covenant? The shedding of blood, which will come later. So, does the Lord lay out all the commandments and say, now will you do them? No. It's simply a promise that all that the Lord speaks to us, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Now let's go back to Deuteronomy 9.9. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant... So why are they called the tablets of the covenant? That's not the only thing they're called, but this is the first thing we see in verse 9. What do those tablets indicate? They're a reminder that Israel made a covenant with God. And Israel said, all that the Lord speaks to us will do. And these are the ten words, the ten sayings, the ten commandments that the people heard with their own ears that are written on the stones. Why is the rest not written on stone? Why is Genesis through Deuteronomy not written on stone?
1: They said,
2: they said we, don't, we can't
0: hear anymore. They said, we can't hear anymore. You tell the rest of Moses, tell us and we'll do it. So the ten, the ten words they heard with their own ears. They heard the voice of God. Did they believe there was a God? Yes. yes. How do you know? Because I told Moses I couldn't Because they told Moses, we can't hear the voice of the Lord anymore. They were too terrified. They knew there was a God. They believed God. They believed in God. But what did they not do? They didn't obey God. And God says, they didn't obey me because of a lack of faith. So believing there's a God is not faith. Believing that God spoke to us is not faith. Doing what God told us is faith, according to Hebrews chapter 3. So it says, When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant was the Lord made with you. Is that you singular or plural? It's with all of them, right? Then I stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. A forty-day fast? Does that remind you of anything in the New Testament? Yeah, go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. Matthew chapter 4 verse 2. What is 40 the number of? Testing. Testing. Matthew chapter 4 verse 2. We'll start in verse 1 for context so we know who he refers to. When Yeshua was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Why didn't the devil come to him on day one?
3: Because
0: he wasn't hungry. <laughs> he wasn't hungry yet? He was too strong, right? But after 40 days of no food or water, what does that do to the body? The body gets very weak. Does Satan attack us when we're strong? Or does Satan attack us in our weakest moments? So that's what he thought. Oh, I got him now. He's so hungry. He'll do anything I say. Make this stone into bread. And Messiah said What? Man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Yeshua fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Let us go back to... Yes, sir. I know that's the normal way we look at it, the traditional way, but it's
4: always seemed to me that it's fasting before the Lord Um, When you look at examples where people fast because of a trial that's coming up or something, it actually makes you more sensitive spiritually. So I argue that contrary to the world's idea of it weakens you, uh, fasting before the Lord, like um, before they went into um, Israel, uh, you know, across the Jordan, there was three days of particularly setting themselves apart for God which, in this case, Jesus in the wilderness, I take to be the same thing.
3: So he's actually at his strongest. Yes. I, I would,
4: I would argue. I know that's not the traditional way, but that's the way I've always understood fasting. Yeah. That's the way I've used fasting, and over um, nearly 50 years now, I've found it um, to um, sort of at least. Fit in with that. I mean, I yeah. I don't want to make a doctrine about it or anything, but it certainly proved so over many years in my experience. I agree so with I you. Just offer that.
0: And that's my next point, is that while it may make one physically weak, it makes one spiritually strong. When Messiah's disciples came to him and said, Why could we not cast out that demon? What did he say? This kind goes out only by prayer and fasting. So when you're fasting, you're not caring for the needs of the physical body. You're feeding the soul. You're drawing closer to God. So that was a great point there. Good ad, Edmund. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 9, verse 10. Then, after the 40 days of fasting, then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with crayon. No, chalk. No, with the very finger of God. Only twice in the Bible do you see God write with his own hand. This is one, where's the other? Daniel chapter 5, So whenever you say, I wish God would write me a letter, just remember it's not always good news. (laughs) How many years had it been since Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the God's temple in Jerusalem? 51 and a half years, Mene is 50, Tekel is one, Upharsen is half. God said your kingdom has been numbered, and it's over. And how long afterward did the Medes and Persians overthrow Babylon? That very night. When God says it's over, it's over. So it was written with the finger of God. And it's written on both sides, which people think, well, he made two copies. No, it means that the letters went all the way through the stone. How could God's finger cut through stone? He's God. He is God. So verse 10, then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. So why did he choose just these ten commandments to write on the two tablets? Because these were the ones they heard with their own ears. And they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they came from the Lord God of heaven and earth. So we saw in verse 9 they're called the tablets of the covenant. Because of verse 10 they're also called the tablets of the testimony. Let's go to Exodus chapter 31 verse 18. Exodus 31 verse 18. They're called the tablets of the testimony because if they choose to say Moses did you just make up the rest of these Moses will say you heard these 10 with your own ears and then you said we'll believe it that the rest comes from the Lord. So Exodus chapter 31 verse 18 it says, and when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Again in Exodus 32, 15. Again, Exodus chapter 32, verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain and the two tablets of the Testimony. Were written in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other, they were written, meaning it went all the way through. See also Exodus 34, verse 29. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And some will say, Wayne, why did you just show us three verses out of the many that say that these were called tablets of the testimony? Because how many theologians today say when you see the phrase law of Moses, God didn't give those, Moses made those up. To bind men to them. What was that last reference again? Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. How
3: do we know they were done in
0: Hebrew? How do we know they were done in Hebrew? Answer is I don't know, because I haven't seen them. But every time God communicates with man, as far as we can tell, it's in Hebrew. Back to Deuteronomy 9. No, it's a good question. When you can't see the tablets themselves. Yes, sir. Back in Exodus 32. Back in Exodus 32. 16, this goes right along with your point. Exodus 32, 16. Let everybody turn there. Exodus 32:16. Go ahead. It just, it just
2: kind of further emphasizes like this. Wasn't Moses up there for 40 days making up a bunch
0: of stuff. Right. It further emphasizes that Moses wasn't just up there for 40 days making up stuff. Exodus 36, which? 32.16. 32, 16. Let me make sure I get there too so I can read it into the microphone. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And what did we read as the last verse last night on this topic? That the law of Moses, which was given to him by? The Lord, the God of Israel. The Lord, the God of Israel. They put it exactly that way. And yet today we have theologians that say, gee, Moses made the rest of this stuff up. It says right here, this is the work of God. It says right here, this is the work of God. You're absolutely right. As
3: opposed to some other religions
0: that... Uh... As opposed to some other religions that... Claim to have tablets, you must be thinking of Joseph Smith and Mormonism who had those gold tablets, but gee, they were mysteriously taken away so nobody else could see them. I agree with you. And you know, if you think about it, in order for the words to go through the stone and come out the backside, that can only be God. They certainly couldn't have done it with the technology back in those days. They couldn't afford something like that. What a shattered a bunch of rock. How will we know exactly what the writing looks like on those stones? They're in the Ark of the Covenant, we will see them one day, then we'll know for sure. Deuteronomy, yes? If people say, Moses made up the rest, then what are they saying about the first hymn? Yeah, I mean, that was my
5: question.
0: Yeah. Here it says, these are gods, why don't you do at least the first hymn? It says, these are gods, why don't you do at least the first hymn? Well, isn't nine out of 10 good enough? Yeah. How many of you have heard the old song by Meatloaf, two out of three ain't bad? Yeah. I've never seen a woman yet who said, hey, I agree with that. I <laughs> know, <laughs> uh, uh-uh. So back to Deuteronomy chapter nine, verse 11. And it came to pass, that's simply Hebrew, by he At the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Well, Moses has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you think that the tablets of the covenant were light? I bet they were very heavy. And I bet Moses was thinking then, I wish I'd been to the gym more. <laughs> But he's got those two tablets of the covenant. Let's go to Exodus 34, 28. Yeah, scripture says when he died, he still had the vigor of a young man. Exodus 34, 28. So I'm sure he had no trouble carrying him down the mountain. Had no problem breaking them when he saw the <laughs> Had no problem breaking him when he got to the bottom. Nope, that's right. And then had to make a new set and carry him up the mountain. That's true, too. Exodus 34, 28 says, Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. Oh, verse 28. That was 29. 28. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. So it was a total fast. It really was. And he wrote on the tablets, he being the Lord, the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Do you have a little asterisk in your Bible? Mm -hmm. Mine does and says at the bottom literally 10 words because that's literally what the Hebrew says is Aseret Devarim. 10 words. Why then do Christian theologians call them the 10 commandments? Because they imply there must only be 10 but if you said the 10 words then they go well okay so let's go to Deuteronomy 4 yeah you're right Deuteronomy 4 verse 13 so he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform the ten commandments again in Hebrew the ten words and he wrote them on two tablets of stone what would have been the significance if they had translated our Bible to say the ten words in each of these places? You have clue. How much more impact then would Messiah's statement have been when he said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then you clearly see he's talking about every commandment spoken by the Lord. Yeah, when people hear the hear the word "word," they think of one individual collection of letters instead of a statement. But this is plural, the ten words. So, okay, he, Deuteronomy nine fifteen. Oh, Wayne, you chose one so close to where we are. We might actually get there tonight. Okay. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. Another example where God calls in the tablets of the covenant. And then in Hebrews 9 4. Hebrews 9 4. Hebrews 9 4. which had, referring to the Ark of the Covenant, the golden censer. What do they mean the golden censer? What was the golden censer used for? Incense. And the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Hmm. Huh. The tablets of the covenant. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Hey, yes. You just looked it up?
2: Looked it
0: up. In verse 4 of Hebrews 9, it says, Verse 4 of Hebrews 9, which had, which had? It should be have. It should be have. It's present participle having. And that's the point that I thought about making but I didn't make is that means they're still there. Yeah. But I thought that covenant was done away with. Wouldn't the tablets of it have been done away with? Well, that's, why it's a renewed covenant. <laughs> that's why it's a renewed covenant because the covenant is still there. It's simply been offered again. Good point, Daniel. Good point. How many times do they change the tenses in the Bible? And do they do it because they didn't know the language? Mm -hmm. Okay, back to Deuteronomy 9, before I wax philosophical. Verse 12, then the Lord said to me, arise, go down quickly from here. Why? Why does he have to go down quickly? For, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt. (laughs) I love it. God says, you did it. You brought them out. Have acted corruptly. What does corruptly mean? They're sinning badly. They They have quickly, again the word quickly, turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. But notice the words that draw my attention to this verse is, from the way. The way as opposed to a way. It's not that God said you guys choose a way to go and go. Everybody pick your own way. There is one way. The way. Hmm. Yeshua said I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. So the question I wrote down here on my piece of paper is, is Yeshua a different way? No, they're both the way. There is only one way. Which means the Messiah's way is in the commandments of God. Which is why, what is truth according to Psalm 119 verse 142? The the Torah. Then in the same chapter it says the word is truth. And then in John 14, 6 it says that Messiah is truth. Are there three truths? Or are they consistent one with another? They don't vary from one to another. If the
5: truth, they will continuously
0: be true. And if they're truth, they will continue to be true. How many ways does one shepherd lead one flock? One, one way, down one path. What does that word say? You can't see it from here. Yeah. Let's go, well... It said, go see John 14, 6. so we may as well. We just talked about it, but let's look at it. I'd like for you to put your eyes on the text. John 14, 6. John fourteen 6. I want you to see the context in which Messiah says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So let's start in verse 1 of John 14 because the context is important. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions with an asterisk. It's actually the bridal chambers from Isaiah chapter 26. Are many bridal chambers. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Who goes to prepare a place in the bridal chamber for the bride? It's the groom. The groom. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What is verse 3 about? That's the rapture and the resurrection. He goes to prepare a place in the Father's house. He comes to get us to take us there. Where is the Father's house where these bridal chambers are being built? In heaven. That's one of the big problems with the post-tribulation rapture theory. After the tribulation, when Messiah has established his kingdom on earth, where's the bridegroom? On earth. On earth. Where's the bridal chamber? Yep. In heaven. So if he takes us to the bridal chamber, it's not where he is. Who, what bride wants to go to the bridal chamber without the bridegroom? Doesn't make any sense, does it? Verse 4, and where you go, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And that's when Thomas says, we don't have a clue what the way is. And Messiah says, What? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Go to Acts chapter 9, verse 2. They didn't put him apart where this. Yeah, they didn't put them apart where he smacked his forehead. Acts chapter 9, verse 2. The believers were first called what? The way. The way. That's in verse 2. Let's start in verse 1, so we start at the beginning of the sentence. Then Saul, Shaul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them down to Jerusalem. The way in Hebrew is haderic. And that's what the church was first referred to as haderic, the way. Because they walked in the way of Messiah. If they walked in the way of Messiah, would they be saying, gee, the commandments have been abolished. We can walk in the sins of the world and God will now like it. The answer is no. They would have been called the other way. Right? The other way. How about Deuteronomy 5.32? Deuteronomy 5.32. Therefore. What else do we find in Deuteronomy 5? The Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5.32 says, Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. If you don't turn aside to the right hand or to the left, which way do you go? Straight forward. Make the path straight. (coughs) Hmm. I still wonder what that one says, but I guess it doesn't matter. (laughs) Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter nine. Start bigger. <laughs> <laughs> or use bigger notepad, huh? <laughs>
3: there you
0: go. That's what it says. It says optometrist. <laughs> that probably does. <laughs> Deuteronomy nine twelve. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here. Why quickly? What if Moses just putters his way down? By the time he gets there, what will have happened to Israel? There'll be a bunch of crispy critters, won't they? So Moses has to get down quickly to see the sins of the children of Israel so he can intercede for them before God just busts out and just wipes them off the face of the earth. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28.14. Deuteronomy 28.14. You're having too much fun. (laughs) Deuteronomy 28 14. God is just amazing. (laughs) Yeah, God is amazing. Deuteronomy 28 14. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. So he doesn't just say, don't turn away from the way, he says, don't turn aside from what? any of the words Hmm. does that reinforce what James said when he said to break one is to break them all to be guilty of them all and that word in verse 14 to serve them what does it mean to serve another God To be subservient to obey them—that's literally what the word is getting at. The word is literally to obey them. To obey someone other than God is to serve them. Hmm. We're going to see that more in the chapter we're in in Deuteronomy, I believe. Let's go to Joshua chapter one, verse seven. Did the children of Israel walk that straight and narrow path without diverting from it? I wonder. Go to Joshua 1, 7. Moses is dead. Joshua's in charge. Does Joshua change the commandments? Does he change the path? Does he tell them to get off the way and find their own path? Let's see. You guys look at me like I'm crazy. Okay. (laughs) Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. So did the Lord change his mind? No. What does God call Moses here? My servant. God also calls Messiah my servant, doesn't he? Meaning he served me. He did not turn aside. He did not go a different way. So do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. If we were supposed to say, well, we don't like those commandments God gave us, so let's just substitute some we like better. Would God say, okay, that's fair? Would he say, so long as you don't do more than, oh, 30%? I don't think so. So let's go to Joshua 23, verse 6. Joshua is now speaking to the people. In chapter 1, it was the Lord speaking to Joshua. Now Joshua speaks to the people. What does he say to the people? He says, therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Is there a difference between keeping and doing Yes. To keep means to guard, right? To protect, to make sure nothing happens to it. And to do is and put it into practice. So if you're guarding it, do you allow it to be changed? No. No. Do you fight to protect it? Yes. Yes. And while you're doing that, he says, oh, by the way, and do it. Does he say to keep and to do some that is written? Not in
5: my Bible.
0: Not in my Bible. That word is all. Interesting. So let's go back in Deuteronomy 9 and see what else the Lord has to tell us.
3: And they lost it in three
1: generations.
0: They lost it in three generations. It didn't take them long, did it?
1: About as long as it took America to start, you know, on this deepest part of this path of perdition.
0: Yeah. Which was the only one of the apostles that writes after the sixties of the common era, that is, that writes after the temple has fallen. John. 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 And what had already begun to happen to the congregations after the temple Perse- fell? First
1: and destroyed.
0: Persecuted and destroyed, but they, the rails. they go off the rails. They start saying, Well, we don't need to keep those commandments anymore. This was just 30 years. And they say, we like the doctrine of the Nicolaitans because they let us play with those prostitutes. We liked them. Ah. Back to Deuteronomy 9, before I get preachy. Verse 13, furthermore, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people. Indeed, they are a stiff-necked people. What's a good word for stiff-necked? Stubborn. Stubborn. Stubborn meaning what? I told them what to do, but they don't want to listen. They want to do what they want to do. And they expect me to be okay with it. And how does God react to that? Not well. If only there was something in the New Testament that said we're supposed to learn from these lessons from the Old Testament. There is. Where? Romans 15. Let's turn up there and look. Romans 15. Must be verse 4 because I've got this big box drawn around it. (laughs) For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we through the patience or perseverance and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. In other words, we're supposed to learn the lessons and not repeat the mistakes that were made. What did it cost Israel to turn away from God and follow their own eyes? Everything. Everything. They went into exile. The 10 northern tribes have been in exile for how long now? Over 2,700 years. Wow. Back to Deuteronomy 9, verse 14. The Lord says to Moses, Let me alone. Uh oh. Whenever somebody says, Let me alone, I am so angry. You realize that, ooh, they're really soothing. That I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I'll make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. What if Moses has said, hey, that sounds like a deal? The Lord's testing Moses to see, will you stand up and fight for the people? Yes, he was. You know, that word destroy doesn't mean just
2: to, I mean, it's like
0: completely. That word destroy means to annihilate, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Completely wipe off the face of the earth.
5: Brother Wayne. Yes, sir. When we were speaking, or you were speaking earlier about how God said to Moses, those that you brought down. Yeah. (laughs) I thought, wait a minute. And then here he goes, and he's in the future telling Moses those that you brought down, because they're kind of taking turns here. Yeah. You know, and he says, but wait a minute, I'm going to do away with you. He could
0: do that. Yeah, he doesn't say I'm going to. But I wish you would He says that I might.
5: There you go. That's strong
3: enough for me. right.
0: Yeah. Um, but did God promise that God would bring these people out and bring them into a new land? Yes,
1: he did. Yes.
0: So what if he just destroys them all here? then he would go back in his word. So he wants to know from Moses, do you believe me? Do you trust me? So if he'd wiped out all 12 tribes, if the prophecy of Jacob that said, at the end of days, the lawgiver comes, law comes out of Judah. There wouldn't be any Judah. There'd only be Levi. So, God is not saying, I'm going to. He's testing Moses. Do you believe me, Moses? Do you believe that the promises I made to the patriarchs I will keep? Or would you like to be the progenitor of a new world? Verse 5. So I turned and came down from the mountain. This was his answer to God. He doesn't stand there and go, well, let me think about it for a minute. He's now running down the mountain. And the mountain burned with fire. What's fire a picture of? Judgment. Judgment. God is angry with the children of Israel. He's ready to bring judgment. But does God destroy the righteous with the wicked? Did we learn that back in Genesis chapter 18 and 19? Let's turn back to Genesis. In chapter 18, Abraham intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 23. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous and the wicked? Will God do that? No. No. Sam Casazza says, where in the New Testament does God say Messiah is my servant? Um, I'm going to have to think. If you're reading from the King James, it doesn't. If you're reading from the New King James, it does. Because the Greek says servant, and the King James changed it to son. It's in Matthew, I think. Give me just a second here. Give me just a second. Come on, cooperate computer. Computers are wonderful things when they cooperate. Matthew 12,
1: 18, the whole
0: Matthew 1218. He was quicker than the computer. I
3: used
0: the computer. Oh, you use your computer, okay. Matthew 12, 18. Let's go there. Matthew twelve eighteen. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, quoting from Isaiah chapter forty two. Yep, that's one of the places. In Acts three thirteen is another. Let me turn to Acts three thirteen. Acts three thirteen says the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob the God of our fathers glorified His servant Yeshua whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate and you said Acts three what three twenty six to you first God having raised up His servant Yeshua sent Him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities that's enough there's plenty more but. This is um, a place where the King James only crowd says you cannot use the new King James because it denies the sonship of Messiah because it changes son to servant. Well, the Greek says servant. It doesn't say son. So they simply changed the The mistranslation. Changed
3: the inspired King James.
0: (laughs) Yep, so let's go back to wherever I was, if anybody can remember. Let's see. Genesis Genesis 18. You're absolutely correct. I left a pencil there. Verse 23, And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do Right? And there's strike number two against the post-tribulation doctrine theory, which says that God will leave all his children in the tribulation period so they can pour out his wrath on them. Does God pour out his wrath on the righteous with the wicked? No. So what did he do? He removed Lot and his family, the righteous, from Sodom and Gomorrah, then destroyed it. Why did he not leave Lot and the family in there and just pummel them too? Turn to chapter 19. We
3: saved the whole lot of trouble down,
0: downwind, not Yeah, Genesis 19, verse 22. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. So God will not pour out his wrath on his children, those who are righteous before him. So therefore, make sure that you're righteous before the Lord. Back to Deuteronomy 9.
1: What was, the first well, you're, well, you're
0: what was the first reference to what?
1: To just now, Genesis
0: 18. We're in Genesis 18, starting Wait. in 24. Yes, Mary.
1: Uh, Michael, can you turn that up a little bit? I can't
6: hear. Um, when you talked about the righteousness, um, that definitely doesn't mean we have to be perfect because you hear people say the bride would have to be perfect. When God takes his church home or his bride home to be with him. So that right there clarifies it that it is um, you're righteous because Lot and his children were not perfect, but they were righteous. So could you explain what righteousness would mean in this case when he takes his bride to be
0: with him? The opposite of righteousness is lawlessness. So if you're walking in a lifestyle of breaking the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God, you are not righteous. If you are keeping the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God to the best of your ability, then God will consider you righteous. That's the difference. Do you keep his commandments or don't you? Yes, Daniel. And I think
2: that there's
0: you think there's a misunderstanding of the word perfect. Anytime you see perfect in the New Testament, it's not meant to be the word perfect. It's tamim, It's Tamim, which is blameless, without spot or blemish. And that's the word that was
2: used to describe Noah. Noah was not perfect, but he was blameless. That means
0: he was walking uprightly according to God. Right. There is no one who's perfect. I wish they hadn't used that word in the translation.
2: Because I had One time about the word perfect because he was saying we need to live perfect because it says, Be you perfect, for I am perfect in the, you know, in the scriptures. Uh huh. But it's a misunderstanding of the word tamim.
0: Right. Blameless. Right.
2: Walking according to the commandments and, and the statutes of God.
0: Right. David was not perfect as we understand the word perfect. So but what did he do when he sinned? He, he repented.
2: So, I mean, that. that Heart. That's
0: what made him a man after God's own heart. Yeah.
2: When he realized he sinned, he didn't just continue and say, he hit his knees and sackcloth and ashes. Yeah. Didn't
0: he? he didn't say, well, God will get over it, right? Um, no.
2: He knew God was going to wipe him off the face of the earth. He did yeah.
0: <laughs> That's right. Okay, so back to Deuteronomy 9. Verse 15. So I turned and came down from the mountain. The mountain burned with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. What does the word sin mean? they broke broken the commandments. What commandment did they break? God said what? Don't make a, an image then don't bow down to it. What did they do? They made an image and they bowed down to it. They sacrificed to it. They worshipped it. And God says, no, no, no. So verse 69 looked and behold, you had <laughs> sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a molded calf. What is that molded calf? It's one of the gods of Egypt. Which God does that represent? Baal. Yes, which is which god? Which is Baal? Baal is the sun god. What was between the, the horns of the bull? The round disc of the sun. So the bull was the image carrying the sun, because if you just make a round sun image, it would roll away. So they put it on the bull's horns.
3: Wait.
0: Yes, Edmund? Also, the, um, the, the, the um,
3: calf is the um, animal
4: for Hathor. And she is, uh, all the things that they do when
3: they're so-called celebrating, all the stuff that goes on there,
4: it fits with a very specific um, ceremony to have for, which was done at precisely that time of year. Oh, okay. And she's both both on the one hand benign to do with domestic, you know, so um, mums and what have you would... Household stuff and all that looking after the children, but she also has this thing about drunkenness and sexual Immorality and all sorts of stuff. So it, it looks as if they're copying a um, Well, it's suggested that they're copying a c- Egyptian um, Ceremony which happens at precisely
3: that time of year
0: so in order to leave Egypt, they put the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost and the lintel, saying, we will not worship the gods of Egypt, we we'll worship the Lord our God. They come to Mount Sinai, they hear the Lord speak, and they make an Egyptian god. Where were their hearts? Their hearts were still in Egypt. Lot's wife, why did she die? She looked back, her heart was still in Sodom and Gomorrah. Our hearts need to be with the Lord our God and Him alone. So, verse 16 is With you had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. It was no more than how many days since the Lord had said, Don't do it? Forty. It's 40's the maximum. Ha. Ah.
1: Probably took him several days to hammer it together.
0: Oh, no, it just jumped out of the fire, remember? <laughs> ah. Yeah, God didn't buy that either. <laughs> So verse 17, then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Why did he do that? Is he tired of carrying them? The covenant's broken. broken. They broke it. He's symbolizing God gave me these commandments of the covenant. And within 40 days of entering into a covenant with the Lord our God, where you said, all that you say will do, You're now, and Edmund is right. Their worship of the golden calf wasn't just worship. There's sexual immorality going on. There's an orgy. There's all kinds of things that would just turn your stomach because they're acting like the pagans in Egypt. So I broke them before your eyes and I fell down before the Lord. Not because he's clumsy but to intercede for the children of Israel because God's wrath is burning hot. That's why he mentions the mountain is on fire. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first. Forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger.
1: 80 days right there
0: close so Moses is going to fast and he's going to intercede for the people he's going to plead for the people verse 19 tells us why in verse 19 he did it for because I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you Moses was afraid that God is just going to wipe the children of Israel from the face of the earth. But Moses is going to intercede with God and pray for the people and mourn for the people and repent for the people. Go ahead. Okay, in verse
3: 14
5: we said the Lord tested Moses to see if Moses Yeah, in verse 14
0: God tested Moses. ...to
5: see if he really believed God had made to the patriarchs, Yeah, and yet in verse 19, he was afraid that God wouldn't
3: keep that promise. He sort of doubted the promise.
0: It seems like perhaps he may have doubted that maybe God in his great anger would forget the promises that he made. So he's interceding, he's reminding God of the promises as he intercedes. says, but the Lord listened to me at that time also. People say, gee, the Lord changed. No, the Lord didn't change. What is the Lord's attitude when one repents? To forgive. (coughs) And then he goes to an entirely different set of circumstances Uh and says, and the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. Now it's not the people. Now Moses focuses on his brother Aaron, who is the high priest to lead the people before God, and who made that calf. Aaron. Aaron did. And Moses is thinking, Well, God spared the people, but my brother—what's he going to do with my brother? <laughs>
3: he
0: says so. I prayed for Aaron also at that same time. Then I took your sin the calf which you had made, and burned it with fire, and crushed it, and ground it very small, until it was as fine as the dust, and I threw as dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. Now wait a minute. That calf was made of gold. Couldn't Moses have said, well, let me just Take the gold off and put it in my pocket, and I'll be a rich man? No, it's
3: corrupt.
0: Moses did not keep or reuse that gold for any reason because it had been used for an idolatrous purpose. Once it gets that idolatrous stink on it, did Moses keep it? No. Did he give it back to the people? No. Many times in the scripture God says if you are at war with another enemy and you capture some of their idols do you get to keep the gold? No. Why? Anything that's been used for pagan idolatry can it ever be made suitable to worship God? Answers no. When Antiochus Epiphany sacrificed a sow pig on the altar of God What happened when the Maccabees eventually overthrew the Syrians and took back the temple? Did they just sacrifice a lamb on the altar? They tore it down and built a new one to dedicate it to the Lord. Can you use that which is idolatrous to worship the Lord? No. Just put in your notes Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 12. Answer is no. No. Unless of course it's an evergreen tree that you bring in the house, put it on a base so it doesn't topple and decorate it. No, God said no. What was that, Daniel? And then he made him drink the water, Hm he?
2: Then he made him drink the water.
0: Mm. He ground it up and said, Now drink it. Why did he do that?
2: He returned that the to the, the sotah.
0: It is. It's a picture of the sota. The sotah was, if a man thinks his wife has been unfaithful,
3: yes.
0: then there's a ceremony they go through and she drinks the water. And if she's innocent, she suffers no harm. But if she's guilty, it demonstrates her guilt. So what is this going to do for the children of Israel who are innocent? Nothing. For those who were guilty and took part in the riotous actions, it will be obvious to everyone. And then whom does God destroy? So the ones that are guilty.
5: Although Moses interceded for his brother who was guilty. Aaron was guilty.
0: Yes, Aaron was guilty, and God was willing to forgive.
5: If, if the guilty, if there were among the guilty those who repented when all this was going on, they would have been forgiven it was the you are correct.
0: So, so what, what happened? Moses drew a line on the ground. And those who are on the Lord's side come on this side of the line. And the judgment only fell on those on the other side of the line. So, God always gives a chance for repentance. Yes, ma'am? Uh,
5: here it says that Moses interceded for Aaron. Mm hmm. But it doesn't say Aaron repented. So that kind of gives you that... that when Moses drew... The, my, my sin and no, me. when Moses
0: drew the line, which side of the line did Aaron go to? I wasn't there. i he went to Moses. Right? He went across the line to Moses to the repentant side. Yeah. On the line. Yes, ma'am. Um, when Moses was up there... Does that mean that all the people of the children of Israel were worshiping the staff, including Moses' wife and children? No, it doesn't say everybody was. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yep, that's the purpose of the sota test. Does, when they drink the water, they don't, like, literally kind of rot. In the sota, yes, their insides they kind of rot, out but out. that's I was trying real hard not to go to the sota here, so We'll just say, we'll come across the Sota on another day. But it was the way that if a husband was jealous of his wife, if she passes the test, she's not guilty, now he can never divorce her. He, he has been proven that his, his jealousies, his angers, his mistrust are misplaced. And she has proven herself true. Okay. That's exactly what the Bible says. About three thousand died that day, and there were what, about three million of the people. So that shows you the number that were unrepentant in the worship of the golden calf was a small percentage of the people.
1: Is this retold somewhere else? Yes. Yeah.
0: What do you mean?
3: The same story is retold somewhere else where the three thousand died.
0: Yeah, in Exodus 31 and 32.
3: Here you don't have any death on.
0: Yeah, it's, okay, let's go back to Exodus 31 and 32. Moses is just summarizing here because the people lived through it. 31 doesn't have
3: 32. 31
0: and 32 are chapters numbers. We'll start in 32. We'll, ver- we'll start in verse 7, in fact, of chapter 32. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I've commanded them. They've made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Verse 33. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. So not everyone, but the ones who sinned and refused to repent, they're the ones that will get blotted out. It says, now therefore go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. My angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I'll visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. Now, let's see, where's the place where the actual people died? Let's start in 25 to give us a running start. So Exodus 32, 25. Now, when Moses saw the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. This is where he makes the line on the ground and said, If you're on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves to him, and Aaron is a son of Levi. So Aaron came over the line to Moses to be on God's side. Then he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side, and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. Let every man kill his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. How did they know who? Because of the sota. So the sons of Levi did according to the words of Moses and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Why is that significant that it's about 3,000? How many were saved in Acts chapter 2? About About 3,000. The very same words. The very same words. Okay, whoops, I got two red numbers out here. Let's see what they are. Julie Page says, the Sota test is Numbers 5 for anyone who wants to read about it. Okay, thank you, Julie. I'd just soon rather not do it. In fact, I had a note here in my Bible to do it, and I crossed it out. I guess I should have left it. Back to Deuteronomy 9, verse 22. Uh Uh-oh. Is that the only time that Israel failed God in the wilderness? No, so verses 22 and 23 say, Also at Taberah, and Massah and Kibroth Hattaavah, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you. Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and you did not believe him. What does that mean? Lack of faith, nor obey his voice. So, Moses doesn't say what happened at these places, so let's go look. Taberah is in Numbers 11. Verses 1 to 3. What did the children of Israel do at Taberah? I
4: think you get it in shorthand in Hebrews. He goes through each of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but let's go back to Numbers 11 and look at it in detail. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some (coughs) in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses when Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire was quenched. So they called the name of the place Taberah, which means burning. Because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. And what's the next thing? They They whine because all we get is this manna. Oh well. Moses didn't even remind them of that. The next one he said was Massah, which is in Exodus 17. Yeah, they're still picking a quail out from between their teeth when the plagues break out. Messiah is in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. <sighs> like I, I've always said, Israel's the only people lucky enough to have all their sins recorded for us to review. Verse 1, then all the congregation, the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? It's not tempt. Change that to test. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt? (laughs) to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people. Take with you some of the leaders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. So Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel, because they tempted, no, change it to tested, the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So how did Moses know which rock to strike? The one the Lord was standing on. So Moses didn't have to go pick a good rock. The Lord said this one. Kibrot and Hatavah are in Numbers eleven. Numbers eleven. Verses thirty-one to thirty-four. Numbers eleven, verses thirty-one to 34 now a wind went out from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea oh look at that Moses didn't forget about the quail did he after all and left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side a day's journey they would travel for miles in a day so the quail are a mile or more in every direction from the outside of the camp, all around the camp, and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. What's two cubits? It's like three feet. Three feet deep, for miles, there are quail. And if people stayed up all that, ni- all that day, all that night, and all the next day and gathered the quail, he who gathered least gathered 10 homers and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So we called the name of that place Kebrot Tatava, because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. What do you not see in that story?
3: The fact
0: burying Oh, I'm sure they cooked them. Where did
3: they get the wood?
0: Oh, I'm sure they cooked them. They had wood from somewhere. <laughs> what you don't see here is the thank you, Lord. We appreciate the miracle. I don't see any thanks here to you. And I think that's why the Lord starts to strike them down. I mean,
5: that's just like it is today say they're Christians and I go sit down to eat with them and they can't take a moment to at least acknowledge God that he has provided the food that is sitting in front of them and asking to bless it and to sanctify it, you know, for us. Why is that so hard for man to do?
0: I don't know. I notice the same thing. When we go out to restaurants, we pray, even though we're at a restaurant. We don't do it silently. No, neither do I. Yes, Miss Mullaney. It says yielded to craving. It says yielded to craving. That means they gave in to their desires. But what they didn't do was say, thank you, Lord. We appreciate yeah. it. right here makes it sound like they're a bunch of ravenous wolves eating prey yeah it could be I mean, especially if they're eating it raw i'm hoping they cooked it i just heard this this week i hope not the
6: hebrews or the jewish people. i don't know maybe i heard it from you um they didn't Give
0: thanks when they ate before the meal, they gave thanks after the meal. Is this true? That tends to be the way they do because the scripture that says after you have eaten, then give thanks to the Lord. And Cassandra, that scripture was Numbers eleven, verses thirty-one to thirty-four. Oh, right. She'll just posted it too. Okay. Yeah. Because the Bible says, Once you have eaten and are full, then remember to give the Lord thanks. That's why Jewish families tend to do the blessing after the meal, after they've eaten and have found and fill themselves with the goodness of God. Now the story in Canis Barney is in Numbers 13. Yes, Edmund? Just a little humorous one in that one. When Ray
4: Delaan was a student at Hebrew University and uh, in the class, he was among all orthodox, they asked him at one point, when the the meal was there, and and they were rather bemused by him blessing the food, and wondered if uh, do you think there's something wrong with it because it you know it cleanses it if you bless it as it were,
0: and uh, they said no, we bless God for the food. Yeah, that's God what we do. We food. bless God for the food. We don't bless the food. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: You're absolutely does matter,
6: right. Does it matter, by the way, if we bless it before or
0: after? No. Just make sure to bless them. Thank
6: you. Yes, in, in
0: sir. In this instance. Bless isn't like oh bless you. It's like thank you. Right? Bless isn't like bless you. It's like thank you. Yes, it's giving thanks to the Lord for His provision and His mercy. Yep.
3: Just blessed is the Lord
0: Yep. When we do a blessing, it's uh, blessed art, bless which is. All times. That's so, true.
4: Beginning and after is quite okay.
0: Yep, I agree with that. Blessed is passive. So we're not blessing God, we're asking God to bless himself. Because only the greater can bless the lesser. So the word blessed is passive. Okay. Numbers 13. This is the story of the 12 spies. And it goes through chapter 14, verse 38. So I won't read all that, just making your notes. Numbers 13, verse 1 to chapter 14, verse 38. And it's when the spies were told by God to go up and take it, they said no. And then when God sent judgment upon them and said, now don't go, they said, well, then we're going. <laughs> and. Of course, then disaster ensued because God was not with them. So whatever God told them to do, they said, we're going to do the opposite. You're going to like it. And we learned a big lesson there. When God tells us to do something, we better do it. So back to Deuteronomy, we're up to verse 24. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. When is Moses talking to them? at the end of the 40 years. He says, for all 40 years that I've known you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. And these are the people that said, what in Exodus 19? Whatever the Lord says, we'll do. They even went to mountains and sang back and forth, If I break this commandment, may I be judged. If I break this commandment, may I be judged. Then they break them anyway. Is that any different from people today? No, not really, unfortunately. Okay. Verse 25. Thus I prostrated myself. What's that mean? Fell down on his face, flat on the ground. Before the Lord, 40 days and 40 nights I kept prostrating myself because the Lord said he would destroy you. Now, the English here conveys it too strongly. He should have translated that verse as said he might destroy you. So the English oftentimes makes it look like God lied. He said he was going to do something and he didn't. But when you actually look at the Hebrew, you can read it perfectly well as he said he might and then somebody intervened and he forgave them yes ma'am there is an olive tab in that verse uh-huh and that olive in represents messiah the lord is messiah so yeah I'm sure that was from Daniel's teaching when he went through and showed the olives and Tavs that represent Messiah. So let me add that to mind: the Aleph and Tav. If you haven't listened to that teaching by Daniel, I recommend it. It's a really good one. Verse 26, then I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God. Look how the word Lord is spelled. This probably should be translated, O my Lord, the Lord. Do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. What do you see in verse 26 that you didn't see earlier? The people kept saying, Moses, you brought us. And Moses saying, no, the Lord brought us. Oh, Lord God, do not destroy your people. They're yours, Lord. They're not mine. This is humility in the part of Moses. You did this, Lord, not me. Your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember what about them? The covenants he made with them. Covenants are promises of God sealed with blood. Will God break his covenants? Give me a verse. Psalm 89 verse 34. My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. So remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or their sin. When it says do not look on, it means don't make that what you see about them. Don't let that be their primary characteristic, their stubbornness, their stiff-neckedness. Remember the covenants, the promises. Remember your name. Verse 28, lest. What does lest mean? Unless, meaning here would be negative consequences. Lest the land from which you brought us, should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. In other words, the children of Israel were to worship the Lord and serve him only, to be a light unto the nations, to be a teaching unto the nations of how great and wonderful it is to be children of the true and living God. And Moses says, if you strike them all dead... What's that going to teach the other peoples of the world? That's not what you want to convey to the world. You want these people to be an example of how you bless those who bless you. Yes, ma'am. Isn't this exactly
5: what Moses said the first time God said he was going to destroy the people up on the
0: mountain? Yeah. Mm -hmm.
5: Is he repeating the fact that he had
0: prayed? Yes. He's repeating the fact that this is what he prayed. Okay. Yeah when he says in verse 26 therefore I prayed he's looking back and recounting to them because they weren't up on the mountain no. they may not remember that he said this he's reminding them
3: but in exodus he, he told them that he said that well, yeah. maybe we just read that he said
0: that and he didn't tell them okay. I'm sorry. that's okay he repeats things over and over because he wants to draw their attention to particular things Yeah. verse 29 oh yes I'm
3: isn't
0: he also in verse 26 reminding God too? Yes. Okay. okay. Verse 29. Yet they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. And that brings us to chapter 10. I
1: got a- or not. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh... Is this not in similar fashion where when Yeshua was talking with a man and the man said, how many times must I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Yeshua said, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven, which is in reference to no limit." Isn't that what's going on here where Moses is, is, is coming before God and reminding, you know, reminding Moses self in, in some in some ways, but that this is what you said, oh God. This is Lord what this is what you said. I'm I'm reminding me. I'm showing my faith and you know asking for these people yep. in similar fashion yep. as Yeshua does for us.
0: Yep. When Moses reminds God of his promises, it's not that he think God has forgotten. Right. But he's expressing his confidence and faith that if Correct. God said it, yes. God's gonna do it just like Messiah did. Yeah.
1: And that's what that's there again, I think it was in John I was reading last night <coughs> where it refers to that, you know Moses you know, Moses was telling about Yeshua.
0: Yep. Moses talked about Yeshua. And the bronze serpent on the pole was about Messiah and his crucifixion. Yeah. One of the two witnesses in Matthew chapter 17 is Moses, and the other is Elijah, the law and the prophets. Yep, because they testify of the Lord. Deuteronomy 10.1, at that time, hmm, at that time is often a reference used to refer to the tribulation period. So there's something in this story that has an end times application. At that time the Lord said to me, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. What's it mean like the first? Why not make them different? Why not put different commandments on them? Let's try something else. No, the point is it has not changed. Nothing has changed. Nothing will change in the law. It can't change. So hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood. So the first tablets God hewed out himself. Let's go back to Exodus 34:12. No 24:12, and remind ourselves that God cut out the first tablets of stone. Exodus 24:12. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So the first set of tablets God cut out with his own hands and gave them to Moses on the top of the mountain. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses has to cut them out. And Moses has to carry them up the mountain as well as back down.
3: Did he carry the ark up with him?
0: Did he carry the ark? I don't know. I was wondering that myself. And I okay. thought, let's read on and see. Verse 2. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets. That's the same words. Not different. But wait a minute. This is not the old covenant this is a renewed covenant right because the first tablets were broken this is a new set of tablets but did the law change no, no. in the new covenant of jeremiah 3131 31, which was initiated and brought into effectiveness by the blood of messiah what does it say is written on the hearts and minds of the people the law. It doesn't say a new law. It's the law. The law does not change. So
2: the covenant in Jeremiah 31 is actually like a renewed, renewed
0: covenant. So the covenant in Jeremiah 31 is not just renewed, renewed, but you can tack a few reneweds on there. Because uh-huh. we're going to come across several more places where the covenant gets renewed.
2: But, you know, that's always been God's intention is to take the words and write them up.
0: That's always been his attention. Does he not tell us in the Torah to write these words on our heart?
2: He says it all through
0: Deuteronomy. Says it all through Deuteronomy too. Yeah, he says, "I won't you wrap these on your
2: heart? Because if they're not on your heart, then they're just external. You're you're doing it for the wrong
0: reason. Right. If you're obeying God out of fear of punishment, that's the wrong motivation. He wants you to do it out of Love. 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 That's always been the way. That never changes. So verse 2, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, and went up the mountain, having the two tablets in my hand. But it doesn't say he has the ark in his he hand.
3: He the ark if he had the tablets in
0: his hand. He would have the tablets in the ark if he was carrying the ark up.
3: And the ark's a pretty big size, if you remember
0: Yes, the ark is a pretty good size. It's not something you would hold in one hand. You would take two hands and two arms to carry it. So there wouldn't be room for the tablets unless they were in the ark. But it says the tablets are in my hand. Verse 4. He wrote on the two tablets according to the first writing. Why does God say that? Why does he reiterate it's the same words? Because they have not changed. changed. When do they change? Never. Never. They don't ever change. How do we know that? The if we look in Ezekiel 44, he tells us that the words are the same, right? The commandments are the same. Right. Does he tell us in the Psalms that forever, O oh Lord, your words are settled in heaven? Amen. Let's go look. Where is that in the Psalms? Psalm 119, isn't Psalm It's <laughs> in the Psalms. There are so many places. In Psalm one hundred five that you mentioned, there's verse eight, which says he remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, which means it's not going to change. Psalm but yes, Psalm one eighteen and Psalm one nineteen. Go ahead. Psalm 119, 89. Psalm one nineteen, verse eighty nine. Just like Psalm eighty nine thirty four, this is one nineteen verse eighty nine. Yeah. There's, it's odd how many times you come to the same topic in the same verse number of a different book. But Psalm 119 verse 89 says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So what does that mean? Is it ever going to change? No. No, forever, O Lord. And that's not the only time. Yes, ma'am?
5: So uh, he kept saying renewed renewed
0: renewed yeah
5: but in our system today when the law is removed renewed it's what it's changed and perhaps in
0: renewed doesn't mean changed no,
5: no. But in people's mind, if the laws
0: in people's minds way, and
5: then when you go to court and you get a, a, jury, a jury to agree that what it said then doesn't apply here maybe that's how man is looking at God's laws that he's going to change his mind like all of our laws seem to have another law that changes that law.
0: Perhaps. And it's a lot because of the words they use in our English Bible. We're in the New Testament they keep saying the New Covenant, the New Testament. But there's two Greek words for new used in the New Testament. One's neos, one's kainos. And which one is used for the New Covenant? Kainos, which means renewed, refreshed. Not brand new. Since we're in Psalm 119.
6: I had to go backwards, Wayne, but um, I think it was Rachel and Mark. I don't know which person really wrote this.
0: Probably About, Rachel. Are you there? I'm here.
6: Okay. About um, Numbers 11, um, and I was really caught up with uh, 33. I never knew that when God gave them the meat, and it was between their teeth, he had a plague come on them, and he killed them. But the word that jumped out at me is his wrath, the
3: wrath of the Lord. Yeah.
6: So his wrath does come on his
0: people. His wrath didn't come on his people that were in obeyance of him. It came on the people who are in disobedience. And that's where God's wrath always falls, is on the disobedient.
6: So when we say, Um, We're going to be taken up in the rapture, and his wrath will be on those that are left, and yet there's tribulation saints. His wrath is not really on them, or is it on them? It is a question.
0: The people who enter into the tribulation period are not saved. Some get saved during the tribulation period, and they're protected from some of the judgments that fall. But when they enter the tribulation period, they're all disobedient. They're all opposed to God. There's
5: also a difference between God's wrath
0: and man's wrath. Yes, there's also a difference between God's wrath and men's wrath. Um, yeah, let's go back to where I was. Since we're in Psalm 119 anyway... Look at Psalm 119, verse 126, because it ties in with what Mary's question is. Why does God pour out his wrath upon mankind in the tribulation period after removing all the believers, all his children? It tells us why in 126. It says, it is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law, your Torah, as void. Who teaches today that God's commandments, statutes, and judgments are void? Majority of the church church who believe they're going into the rapture. So we shall see. Now go to Revelation chapter 16 to help answer Mary's question. Much of the death and horrible things that happen in the first half of the tribulation are brought upon the world by the false messiah, the Antichrist. In Revelation 16, we're talking about wrath of God being poured out. So Revelation 16:1, just as a for instance. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. So those who've who've taken the mark of the beast have made their decision. They've rejected God and pledged their faith to the Antichrist. They received this judgment. What about those who have been saved and rejected the mark? Doesn't come upon them. Right? Okay. So back to Deuteronomy. We are in chapter 10, yes. Mm -hmm. Back to verse 4. And he wrote on the tablets according to the first writing. What's it mean according to the first writing? It means he wrote the same words. The Ten Commandments, which literally says what? What? the ten words, which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. So, they're the same words. Now, I should have, when Daniel mentioned Ezekiel 44, said, let's turn there and see what Ezekiel 44 says. But this morning, I'm just... Following too many Ibex trails. Let's get back on track. In Ezekiel 44, where's Messiah? He's sitting, on the throne. He's sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, on the earth. We're in the Messianic kingdom. The tribulation period's over. Satan's bound away. And it says in verses 23 and 24, They shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Are we going to eat pigs in the kingdom? No. Shrimp, lobsters, no. In controversy, they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes and all my appointed meetings and they shall hallow my Sabbaths. So has the law changed? No. No. Who's teaching the law? Let's go to Isaiah 2. Who's teaching the law in the kingdom? The lawgiver, Yeshua, are you sure? Isaiah what, sir? Isaiah two. Yes, we're sure. Isaiah two. Or Micah four. You can turn either place. They read the same. Isaiah two. Starting in verse three. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. What's the house of the God of Jacob? That's the temple. Where does Messiah rule and reign from? The temple. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths for out of Zion. Zion in Hebrew shall go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Messiah himself is going to teach us the Torah. How does he know what the Torah says? He wrote it. He wrote it. Okay. Okay. Back to Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse 5. Now Moses is telling what happens. He's got the second set of tablets that he carried up the mountain. God wrote on him. Now he's carrying them back down. Verse 5. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark which I had made. So now we know the tablets go into the ark at the bottom. And there they are. Just as the Lord commanded. Me. What does he mean? And there they are. <laughs> He's probably pointing to them. Look, there they are. Verse 6. Now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of Beneshachan to Moserah, where Aaron died. Where does Aaron die? Yeah, don't say Moserah. <laughs> <laughs> where? He's buried near Petra. Above Petra, he actually is buried in a point where he would be able to see down into Petra where he's still alive and looking. That mountain is also just a stone's throw from where Moses strikes the rock the second time. And the water comes out. That's the water source for Petra. It still flows. I've been there. I've tasted it. It's cold. It's fresh. It will be the water that flows into Petra during the tribulation period when the children of Israel, in obedience to the Lord's command, flee there for protection from the false Messiah. And where he was buried, and Eliezer, his son, ministered as priest in his stead. What kind of priest? High priest, priest, that's right. So as the priest. From there they journeyed to Gudgoda, and from Gudgoda to Jotbatha let's just say Erie a land of rivers of water well this was they journey from the last place where Moses struck the rock to bring water out of the rock so God takes him to a place where there are rivers and now they don't have to worry about being thirsty anymore verse 8 at that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless His in his name to this day. Go back to Exodus 32. Go back to Exodus 32. This tells us why Levi gets appointed to the position of the priesthood. And to carry the Ark of the Covenant and the other implements of the temple. Exodus 32, verses 25 to 29. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that He may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man as opposed to his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a gold, a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I'll blot him out of my book. Now therefore, go lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sins. And now let's go back a little earlier in Exodus 32 and pick up with verse 25, where I said we were going to be. It, doesn't
1: that last verse indicate that there will be consequences to sin Oh yeah. It comes right away or not?
0: Yep, yeah, that's right. So I said to start in verse 25, and I started too far down. Verse 25, now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron did not restrain them through sh- their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves to him. This is when Levi gets set apart to be the priests. And verse 28, so the sons of Levi did according to the words of Moses. So that's why Levi, the tribe, gets set apart as the priest, because they were the ones who gathered together to Moses. Even those that had been involved in the sin repented and crossed that line to stand with Moses in the place in front of God. So back to Deuteronomy 9, chapter 8. That's... Uh-huh. Uh. We're in verse 10. Yeah, we're in verse 10, chapter 10, verse 9. There we go. Pull my mind back together. Of all the things I've lost, I miss my mind the most. So verse 9, as a therefore, Levi is dedicated to the service of God. The entire tribe is dedicated to the service of God. So what about themselves? How do they feed themselves and their families? Can they go out and farm? No. Verse 9, therefore Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren. They don't get a tribal allocation of land to farm and to raise food. So yes, the tithes and the offerings will be how they support themselves and their families. says the Lord is his inheritance just as the Lord your God promised him. That takes us back to Deuteronomy 18 verse 1. Deuteronomy 18, verse 1, depends your point of view. In a Hebrew published Bible, you're going one way, and in English, you're going another. So Deuteronomy 18, 1 says, the priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levites shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. So what if they don't? What if people don't bring... Offerings and sacrifices. And you the of then you have the book of Malachi. That's what Malachi is about. So go to Malachi. Malachi, my messenger or my angel. Or Malachi. Malachi, yeah. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 8. Three, yep, 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Has nothing to do with offerings and offering plates. Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. What were the tithes and offerings for? To make God rich? No, God has all the cattle on a thousand hills and his streets are lined with gold. To feed the Levites, who feed the priests, so the priests and Levites can what serve Serve God at the temple, minister before God on behalf of the people. What if the Levites and priests stop ministering before God? Then God stops blessing the people. And when God stops blessing the people, then the crops fail. So by feeding the priests and Levites, they were ensuring success in their crops. So it says in verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Where's the storehouse? That's in the temple. That's where the food goes for the priests and the Levites. Says that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. Anybody ever hear a preacher and say, God opens the windows of heaven and the coins just fall down? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gold triples down from the ceiling. Gold triples down from the ceiling. No. Opening the windows of heaven means send the rain in its season. What happens if God sends the rain in its seasons? The crops flourish. And everybody is punning. says... If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. What does this have to do with money in the offering plate? The answer is not a thing. Okay, go back to Deuteronomy 10. I've been told I'm the most hated man in Jasper because all the pastors have to... Respond to their people who listen to the radio show and go, Wayne said, we don't have to. Well, never mind. Okay. Okay. Back to Deuteronomy 10. Okay. Verse 10. As at the first time, I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. How many times is he going to tell them he had to fast for 40 days and 40 nights? He wants them to understand that this is serious stuff. The Lord also heard me at that time, and the Lord chose not to destroy you. Look at the way he phrased it, the Lord chose not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey before the people that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And now Israel, I love these words, we're going to read 12 and 13. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but? Meaning this is all God requires of us. To fear the Lord your God. What does the word fear there mean? To have reverence, to obey. To put God in the position of being God. To walk in all his ways. That means to be obedient. And to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So make a note, to fear, to walk, to love, to serve, to keep. Where did I get the to keep? That's verse 13. And to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for what? So that you can be slaves? No, for your good. Does obedience bring blessing? Yes, and disobedience brings judgment. We'll close by turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Is this not the same thing Samuel told us? Solomon, what did I say? Yeah, Solomon, the other S guy. It's been a long day so far. What does Ecclesiastes 12 tell us? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Brother Lane? Yes, ma'am? Would another verse that goes along with that be Micah 6.8? Would another verse that goes with it be Micah 6.8, did you say? Let's turn to Micah 6, eight. Yep. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And with that, we'll bring the Bible study to a close for today. We'll pick up next week somewhere, hopefully in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14.